0: So today we're, uh, we're continuing the series that we started last week called Delivered to Dwell. Uh, and this series is a uh, journey with God through the life of Moses. That's what we're calling it. Delivered to Dwell, a journey with God through the life of Moses in We uh, just began this sermon series last week, and if you didn't have a chance to be with us last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen maybe to the podcast at some point this week or in the next couple weeks. We, We spent the whole week just kind of laying all the foundations and all the groundwork for what this series is going to be about and just some of the big themes, what God is doing in this story. That'll be really helpful for you if you're going to stick with us for the fall so I would encourage you to to do that. You can go to ethoschurch.org under the weekly teachings tab and listen to that if you'd like to. But um, just to lay out for just a few moments where we were last week, uh, I want to summarize some things so that we're kind of all on the same page. So we talked about last week how the book of Exodus is the second book of a five-part series called the Pentateuch and just a a five-book series. Starts with Genesis, and then it goes to Exodus. So at at all times, as much as possible, we want to keep this uh, bigger narrative arc uh, before us as often as we can. Uh, So we we use the analogy of Star Wars. You know, if you go and see the seventh movie of Star Wars, um, it makes a lot more sense if you've seen the first six movies, right? And and so a lot of what we did last week was unpack what what those first uh, beginning themes and narratives were like so that the story would hold a little more significance for us. So what we talked about was the fact that God has made some promises to his people, uh, these people called the Israelites or the Hebrews, that God made some big promises, and and for whatever reason, they weren't really experiencing those promises uh, like they thought it would play out. So we talked about how for us, if we're not careful, we develop these expectations of how God should move or work in our lives, when that's actually not how God moves and works in our lives. And, uh, and sometimes we just feel like God isn't present, God isn't active in our lives or in our circumstances. But we saw from this first chapter of Exodus that God is always working, God is always moving, even if we don't understand how or why in the middle of our circumstances. And ultimately, kind of where we landed, the big point was that this is God's story. This is God's narrative, not ours. And we get to play a part in what God is doing in the world. So that's kind of where we were last week in Exodus chapter 1. And and today we're going to be continuing in Exodus chapter 2 and looking uh, a little further at this man called Moses and how God is going to do some things in the life of Moses. And hopefully we can learn some things about God as as we do that. Sound good? All right, so uh, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter two, and, and to frame our conversation this evening, uh, I wanna give us a few ideas that will help uh, guide our conversation uh, as, we, as we talk through this, this story. So I'm gonna set this up by reading a couple verses in chapter two, verses 23 uh, through 25, and this is where we will get our, our, our first few ideas that will help us. You can follow along, Exodus chapter two, verse 23. It says, during those many days, The king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Uh, So I want to use these few verses to frame where we'll be going. So the first picture we get from these few verses is the, the, the idea of bondage or slavery, uh, it's this picture that the people of God are in slavery. They're crying up to God because of their slavery. And, and if you were with us last week, we saw that the, the Pharaoh of the Egyptians has put the people of Israel under uh, this just terrible persecution. Um, and on top of that, it's kind of a genocide that's taking place because the Pharaoh has decreed every single male child be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. So you can just imagine the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that's infiltrating the hearts of this people as a community. That's what they're experiencing. They're experiencing this deep bondage and slavery. That's the first idea. The second idea is that they're doing that, and they're experiencing that bondage in the midst of a communal promise that God has made. So you saw in these verses that God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, that word covenant, is just another word kind of for promise. So God made this promise to Abraham that he was gonna bring these people into their own land that was this amazing land, make them his people and they would be a blessing to the nations, just this amazing promise. And all they are experiencing is slavery. I was thinking about this week, um, what happens when someone promises us something and we don't experience that promise? Um, You know, when you hear the 15,000th diet commercial on TV or um, you're just like flipping channels and you see QVC again, they're just doing some other diet or some other ab workout and they just promise these amazing things, right? They're like, try our microwave meals. Uh, I know microwave doesn't really make healthy food, but if you try our microwave meals every day for like three years, you'll get like eight-pack abs. it will be amazing, and uh, you know they make these outlandish promises, and you're like, hmm, I, I mean, I might try it. Uh, it sounds like a good deal, and you know it never works, right? I haven't really heard anybody that has had any of those work. You know, you try it out, and you're like, this is this is just bogus. They, they lied to me. They tricked me into this plan. They're like, Plan Z is a fake. You know, and and what happens when we experience someone like not coming through on the promise we start to doubt um, and uh, doubt the trustworthiness of the person that made the promise right We, we start to experience like okay this this isn't really a good uh good person making the promise and that that's what the israelites are experiencing in this moment that god has made this amazing promise to them and they are not experiencing anything that god said would happen So they begin to cry out. They begin to doubt who God is, the trustworthiness, the goodness of their God. And that's where they find themselves, in bondage, under the weight of this communal promise. But we're going to see here that God doesn 't leave people there, God gives uh, a man named Moses a personal calling. This will be our third idea, so bondage, a communal promise, and then the last idea we 're going to look at is this idea of personal calling. So uh, this sermon series is a sermon series on Moses, so obviously God is going to do some big things, some really amazing things through this uh, man named Moses. maybe you 've uh, heard of Moses before if you, ha- you haven 't um, Read this story before, you've probably seen in popular culture some representation of him, whether you've seen Prince of Egypt or you saw like the big blockbuster movie Exodus with Batman Moses, Christian Bale, that's what I like to call him. Um, But we we all have some conception of of who Moses is, and and we're going to see in this story today that God's going to use him in some pretty powerful ways. And to catch you up on what is about to happen in Moses' life, uh, we saw in chapter one that Moses was born to an Israelite woman in the middle of this genocide. So immediately he's under the weight of uh, a death sentence. But his mom protects him and kind of sneaks him into the presence of Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses, uh, after he's a few years old, is raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the house of the Egyptians. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter two. So we're gonna jump into chapter two, verse 11, and, and kind of follow the story of Moses a little bit and see what happens in his life. So let's jump in. Exodus chapter two, verse Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So we get this picture in the first part of uh, these verses that Moses is this man who was born into a heritage of the Israelite people. Uh, but has been raised in the household of the people who are, his, who are oppressing his people. Uh, can you just imagine what this would do to your worldview if, if you were to experience this? And one day he has to come to terms with the reality that he's living in. I, I, I want you to think about what this would be like, maybe, if you were uh, a Jewish person born in the mid-1930s, and you were born into a Jewish family, and when you were a few years old you were uh, shipped off to be raised in the home of a Nazi general. That's kind of the picture that's happening here where uh, you've, been, uh, you've been raised in a household that is oppressing and persecuting your own people. Picture the scene. You know, one day, Moses is out for a walk. We don't know how old he is, but he's a grown man. And he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew people. And Moses is faced with a decision. Who, who am I? What is my identity? Who am I going to side with here? Am I Egyptian or am I a Hebrew? And you can just imagine uh, his whole life just feeling the shame and the guilt of being raised in this household with all of these privileges while his people are under such intense slavery can't imagine what he would be feeling. And this is the watershed moment in the life of Moses. What is he going to decide? What, what is his life going to be about from this point forward? And he's looking at the people in the midst of their slavery, in the midst of their bondage, and he makes a decision to side with his people. It's this picture of Moses having a desire for justice, but sort of taking it into his own hands and doing it in his his own timing in the ways that he thought was best. And he kills this Egyptian. And and some people wanna make Moses out to be this like righteous and perfect person in in the story. And you know, he was totally blameless by killing this guy. He was defending the weak and and I, I get that, but that's not really what I see here. It's like Moses is looking like everywhere, make sure nobody's watching before he does this. And I think if you're doing that, you, there's some shame there. There's some guilt there, and he uh, still does it. Then on the next day, he, he sees two Hebrews struggling together, so two of his own people. And you can imagine he's committed himself to this way. He's kind of said, all right, this is what I'm going to be about. And this inclining for uh, justice uh, comes forth again, and he begins to interact with some of his own people and say, why are you all fighting together? The Egyptians are the ones that are persecuting you. And they pipe up, hey, what are you going to do about it? Do you, are you going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian? I can just imagine the weight in his, his chest. Like if you've ever been like caught doing something you weren't supposed to do, like you were eating the Oreos when you told your roommate, hey, I'm quitting sweets for a while. And it's like midnight and you're just, like all the way through a bag and, and there's you, just you, the shame, the guilt, you know. And, and I can imagine on a much deeper level, obviously, but uh, Moses just feels the weight of... Being found out, what's gonna happen? He's fearful, and, and Pharaoh finds out and, and pursues him and tries to kill him. So Moses flees, and let me summarize what happens when Moses flees. He runs out in the desert, and he sees some women being mistreated at a well, and he seeks justice again. The text says that he stood up for them, and he saved them. Uh, Moses ends up staying with that family, and marries one of those daughters and becomes a shepherd out in the desert. That's, that's kind of where we pick up the story in the next part of the chapter. So let's keep reading. Exodus chapter 3 now. Start in verse 1 and see this moment that God enters the story. On a normal day, seemingly out of nowhere, God shows up to Moses. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not Come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have seen uh, the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt, the children of Israel out of Egypt. So this part of the story is a little more more familiar to us, maybe if you've uh, been familiar with the story before. Uh, this is the scene of the burning bush. You know, Moses is just like hanging out with his sheep like he does and and he sees this bush on fire and it seems kind of nonchalant in the text. He's like, oh, let me go and see this bush which is (laughs) on fire. I'd be like freaking out, losing my mind. But once the bush like starts talking to him, that's when he kind of realizes something is really up and he is terrified, he falls on his face and God uh, intervenes in this moment to call Moses uh, to do something amazing. We're gonna hopefully have time next week to look at this scene of the burning bush a little more closely. But what I want us to see here is this idea that uh, God's people were in the midst of bondage and slavery. They were living under the weight of this huge communal promise that God would do something and bring them out of the land into a good land and he's gonna personally call Moses to deliver his people. This is the story we see in Exodus chapters two and three. this is typically the part of the sermon. You know, we've looked at the text. We have looked at the narrative a little bit and seen some of the themes there. And typically we use this moment to then transition to, okay, what what does it mean for us? How do we take this and like go into our jobs and go into our classes? And and we do this a lot. Um, I think if we do this on too much of a surface level sometimes, uh, we miss out on some of the deeper things that God wants to show us in the narrative. It would make sense to go. Okay, so what's my Midian? You know, like where, where have I run from God in my past? What's the Egyptian that I've buried in the sand? You know, like this is this is kind of how we can make the text really allegorical. A lot of young people uh, ask the question. You know, like wh- what is my burning bush moment? Like, when is God going to just come down and just give me the trajectory of everything he wants me to do for the rest of my life? You are going to do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. You're going to marry this person, it's going to be great. He's going to give it to me, download it all at once. You know, that's kind of the the allegorical way to interpret this story. And these are not bad questions. They can lead us to good places with the Lord. But I think there's something deeper that it's kind of like when you dig a well and you dig it kind of shallow, the, the water can be muddy. It's not really clean and life-giving water, but if you really dig down deep, you begin to get uh, clean, uh, refreshing water. And this is kind of the picture I want us to show. And so instead of entering into the story and thinking about, okay, um, what, a, what is my burning bush moment and, and sort of putting ourselves in the story of Moses, um, I think rather uh, we should do it a little bit differently. I think this reveals that we often want to put ourselves in the story as the hero or the heroine. You know, we, we read a story, we watch a movie, uh, you know, every single story that we encounter, we typically dream about and think about being the hero, the heroine. So we watch The Hunger Games, and we're like, I'm Katniss. Um, I, I am in, in full flesh. I, she, me and her, we're the same. And, you know, we, we put ourselves in the, the position of the hero. I think this tendency uh, is from our culture, not from the scriptures, we talked about our celebrity culture last week, how you know, and, and social media just fuels this idea that everyone always wants to know what we're doing and wants to know what we're thinking and it's kinda of all about us and our dreams and our narratives and our culture just fuels this in our lives. We dream about what it would be like for us to be the protagonist of every situation. And here's, here's the truth of it. I think that when we're looking at the story of Exodus and we wanna put ourselves in the story so that we can learn about God and learn more about who we are, um, we are not Moses in the story. Uh, we are not the hero or the heroine. We are not the protagonist. If we want to put ourselves in this story in, a, in maybe a deeper way, we put ourselves in the, the story by becoming the Israelites. We're under the bondage of an enemy, living in a land that is not our own, under the weight of a communal promise, and God has already sent the hero. That's the good part, God has already sent the hero to deal with the enemy and to deliver us out of that land under that oppression and slavery and deliver us into this new life in the presence of God. And that hero is Jesus. So when we look at the Old Testament, uh, whenever you read the Old Testament, all of it is gonna be pointing to the person and the work of Jesus. So the story about David and Goliath, it's not about some little boy like slinging a stone and killing a giant, it's about Jesus defeating the enemy of sin and death. So when we, when we approach this narrative, it's, it's not about, okay, what's my burning bush moment? It's, okay, God sent a deliverer to deliver his people out of their slavery. And this points to who Jesus is. It's almost like a shadow. If you think about how a shadow works, it always points to something. You never look at a shadow and, and just kind of look at it in all that the shadow is by itself. You think about what it represents. However distorted and changed it might look, it always points to that which uh, is casting the shadow. So all of this narrative in one way or another is gonna point to Jesus. It's gonna be a shadow of Jesus in the greater narrative that God is writing in the story and in our lives. So what do we learn about God and what do we learn about ourselves when we put ourselves in the story by becoming the Israelites? I think we learn a few things and this this will be in relation to the three ideas we've been talking about ideas of bondage and promise and personal calling so the first thing we learn I think if we we really think about ourselves as the Israelites is that we are born into slavery just like the Israelites are we are born into bondage and while they were born into oppression and slavery from the Egyptians we are born into this slavery to sin so uh, the book of Romans will talk about us being enslaved to our sin nature how none of us are righteous before God, and we, we can't escape the slavery just by uh, willing ourselves out of it and, and trying. We, we need someone to come in and deliver us from the bondage. But it's not just uh, that, it's also that we live under a communal promise as well. For the Israelites, it was the promise that God made to Abraham that he would deliver them out of the Egyptians' slavery and into this new land called the promised land. For us, it's a different promise. It goes back to the very beginning when the first people that God created sinned against God, Adam and Eve. And there's this moment in Genesis 3, you can go back and read it, where they rebel from God and their relationship with God is fractured. And in that moment, in Genesis 3, God makes a promise. He's, and he foretells, he talks about the coming of Jesus, and he says, I'm going to fix this. It, it, it's all gone wrong, it's all been fractured, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send someone uh, to fix it. And he makes this huge promise and the promise that was made by God that we all live under now. So how does God respond to the bondage and the plight of his people? He sends someone to deliver his people from their bondage. One who left the privilege of heaven, just like Moses left the privilege of Egypt, enters into solidarity with the people to be their deliverer. The Parallels go so deep in this, I love it. Israelites don't go find Moses and earn their way out of slavery, right? It is only by the power of God through someone else that they can get out of their slavery. And the same way for us, we can't earn our salvation with God out of our sin. It has to come from the outside. Jesus has to come and do something in our hearts. That's the way to salvation. So this story is about God. This story is about Jesus. It's about the narrative of God that God is unfolding across all time. It's so much deeper, so much more rich than just looking at it and saying, okay, what is what is my burning bush? Moment. So, what do we take away from this? How can we we reflect on these ideas in a way that creates worship, in a way that creates devotion to who God is? I want to ask a few questions and point out a couple things as we close. So, the first one is to ask the question what are we in bondage to? What are you enslaved to? Sometimes these things are explicitly simple, you know, sexual sin. Um, deceit, lying, you know, these types of things that are explicitly sinful toward God. Sometimes they're a little more subtle and it's hard to name. Social media. I was talking to my wife Virginia last night. I was like, I am a little bit in, like, enslaved to like, just social media, just like, scrolling through stuff. It, it's like it controls me. I'm enslaved to it. I, I, it's something that controls me. You know, what are the things that we're in bondage to? The, the good news is that we have a deliverer. Uh, we, we have someone who has said, I uh, will deliver you out of those things. So if you feel like you're enslaved to uh, approving others, Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus is the one that can deliver you out of your slavery to feeling like you have to gain the approval of others by embracing your identity in him. You see how this comes forward. And if you've never placed faith in Jesus, um, you're powerless to defeat these things. You don't have the power of God in you to defeat these enemies. But if you've placed faith in Jesus, we keep coming back to the power of Jesus. Keep coming back to our deliverer. That's the first one. What are we in bondage to? Second thing is we live under the weight of a new communal promise. I want you to think about this. Jesus has fulfilled the promise from Genesis 3. He's come and died for our sin. Uh, This amazing grace that we sang about earlier that, that you took my place. God's fulfilled that promise through Jesus, but Jesus has made a new promise that he would come back and restore all of it, uh, that he's gonna bring this new heaven and new earth. And, and we were waiting for that promise, right? So we're living kind of in the middle of this where we're still experiencing some slavery, still experiencing uh, some of the bondage of the enemy, but we know that the promise is gonna be fulfilled. And if we're not careful, our experience and circumstances can uh, quench what God wants to do in the here and now. I want to read a verse from chapter six in Exodus to sort of illustrate this. You can just listen to it. This is Moses as he's approached the people of Israel and he's told them all that God is about to do in their midst and listen to their response. That's chapter six, verse nine. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Think about that. God shows up through Moses And proclaims, I am about to do amazing things in your midst. But because of their circumstances, because of um, how consumed they were with the here and now and what was right in front of their faces that was painful, they totally miss out on what God is doing. They don't see, they're not open to what God is doing. So let's not miss out on what God wants to do in our lives in the here and now because we're so consumed with our circumstances, Let's be open to the Holy Spirit, however the Holy Spirit wanna move in our hearts and in our lives, even in the midst of difficult situations. What are you in bondage to? Um, How are you embracing what God wants to do in the middle uh, of your life now under this communal promise? And lastly, God gives us a daily personal call to follow His Holy Spirit into the world. So even though we're not Moses in the story and we don't always look for our burning bush moment, God has given us his Holy Spirit inside of our hearts to follow on a day-by-day basis, just like he would give a cloud to the Israelites to follow in the chapters after this. It's just a day-by-day, follow me today. Um, I'm gonna give you bread today. I'm gonna give you what you need today. Follow me, enter in on what I'm doing. We're simply invited to follow. And we'll come back to this idea a lot in this series, that this is God's narrative. God is unfolding a huge narrative across so many generations. And it's about changing our questions from, all right, God, what are you doing in my story? What do you want to do in my life? How can you use me? It's about changing our questions from that to, okay, God, what are you already doing that I can enter into today? Open my eyes to how you are moving in my life so that I can join you in the narrative of making your name great. It's about shifting our our focus from our narrative to God's narrative. All we're called to do is follow day by day. So every week when we end our gatherings, we, we take communion and we reflect on who Jesus is. And a lot of times we'll have a question or a thought to kind of uh, spur conversation and take it out through the week. And, and sometimes it's really clear uh, what you're supposed to go and do. Uh, and sometimes it's just, all right, let's reflect on who God is. Let's reflect on the ways that God has delivered us from our own bondage. Let's reflect on the promises that he has come through on in our lives. And would that cause us to worship? Sometimes the response to reading this story is just, just to worship. It's not always to go and do, it's sometimes just to come and see and to reflect on who God is. So we take communion together. And we remember who Jesus is. We remember uh, the, the promise of God that is, that is being uh, represented there. We take the, the juice and the bread and we just thank God. We let gratitude rise up in our hearts. What, what has God delivered you from? Where have you experienced the promises of God being fulfilled in your life? Thank him, be aware of those things, reflect on those things and ask God that he would uh, allow you and help you live out of that reality to follow him in a day-by-day way as he personally calls you into the places that he's already prepared for you to walk in. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll stand up and take communion. God, thank you uh, that that you're big and that you're uh, mighty and majestic and in control and orchestrating all of these things. The narrative that you are unfolding Uh, in your creation is so unbelievable and beautiful. Uh, We praise you um, that uh, just like you delivered the Israelites, God, you wanna deliver us from our sin and things that we feel enslaved to. Holy Spirit, would your power come in this room tonight for those of us in the room that feel in bondage to uh, whatever it would be to, to, to uh, specific sins or things that would be more subtle, Holy Spirit, would you reveal those things in our hearts and call us to repentance so that we could walk with you, experience the freedom of your presence and life with you. God, as we spend some time just reflecting on your sacrifice through Jesus, would you overwhelm our hearts with gratitude and worship um, as we remember all that you have delivered us from to the great lengths with which you went uh, to, to go after our souls, to, to allow us to, to have communion and relationship with you. Would this not be just a time of, of singing songs, but would, would it be a time of true worship, of crying out to you, thanking you, uh, praying to you, God, for you to come and move in our midst. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this for your beautiful name. Amen.